Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the backstory behind every book. Joining me today is Carol Gig, and she's here to talk about a very important book. It's titled TBI, To Be Injured, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury. Carol, welcome. Thank you. Now, you're a licensed clinical social worker. Would you tell our listeners exactly what that means? Well, a social worker can be a lot of different career paths, and mine varied a great deal as well. But social workers' basic um, instruction is begin where the client is, meaning the only way you can help is if you get into somebody else's shoes. And so that's what I've tried to do with this book is to have folks understand that this is what I went through, but it will also speak to you if you've had a brain injury. This book is really amazing. And when I was reading through it, one of the things that really struck me was, first of all, I know this is a very personal story for you, but secondly, you have put in so much time doing research. Tell me how you researched. You've got some statistics in here that I just, my jaw dropped and hit the desk when I was reading through mm-hmm. these statistics. I see. Yeah, I mean, I was astounded. I had no idea. How did you do your research? Well, a lot of it was done because, um, in the beginning for myself, but then it really took off when I wrote the book because I wanted to be sure that I got my message across. So I, I literally went online, and then, because I don't trust, frankly, a lot of things that are online in terms of facts or unfacts, so I, I went to certain places that I really trusted, Mayo Clinic, for one, and I just sort of explored that, and they were wonderful getting back to me, but also their articles are fabulous. So I stayed with sort of well-known groups and then took it from there. Why did you decide to write this book now? And how long did it take you? It took me several eight years, uh, two and a half to three years. Um, the reason I wrote it is because I had retired and I realized that now I could devote as much time as I wanted to my favorite, to my passion, and that's writing. And that's when I really sat down and said, okay, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? And it just it just flowed from there. I had so much time to think about things, and I'd written so much during the previous 10 years that it was just a matter of pulling it together. And I have to say that it was incredibly cathartic, which is one of the things I hope for anyone who's had a brain injury, to find some passion that they have. Everybody's got one. <laughs> find some passion that they have that they lose themselves in and move in that direction. It could be writing. It could be drawing. It could be sculpting. It could be gardening. As long as you produce something that you can share with others. So that's what I did. I just decided, okay, this is where I'm headed. When did you first find yourself drawn to writing? Wow, I must have been maybe 10 at the most. Wow. Yeah, I always wanted to be a a writer. That was my big uh, hope. Did some teacher encourage you? Did um, what? There's always some story about why a writer is drawn to writing. Did you read somebody and and become enamored with their writing style? Was there a story that sucked you in? Was there a teacher, professor that recognized a, a spark? How did the ten year old you decide that you liked writing? Well, 
Well, now this may sound a little offbeat, but nevertheless, I used to keep a diary. And primarily, and this is way into adulthood, um, whenever I write a letter, there's just a stream of consciousness on the paper. It just, um, I don't stop myself. When I'm writing something more formally, I don't stop myself until the end, and then I go back because I have to write to turn my, my head off. I mean, put the pen to the page and put my head. And that was wonderful access to what I really wanted to say. Those things that emerged from that level were important. That's just what they did. And when I was a little girl, all the books that I read um, were like that. They were about different people in different places that I knew, and they stimulated me. Uh, let me give an example. Oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Harriet the Spy. I hope everyone knows that book. Harriet the Spy is about a little girl who spies on people. They know they can't see her. And these people, it's fascinating because now as a therapist for over 30 years, I realized that these poor people that she was spying on were all having some kind of mental health illness. Dear. And it was fascinating. Those are the kind of books, frankly, those are the kind of books that grab you when you're a child. But as you grow and grow, you see them in a totally different way. Another example is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Now, that book, if you read it as a child, it's really fun and all these interesting characters. And then as you get older, C.S. Lewis was a theologian. And you start to see that the different characters were images of God, of Christ. It's just, you see things differently as an adult. But as a child, it's very drawing to have things be magical. That's where you get drawn in. And then you're sucked in for life when you, when you realize you can change everything as you go along. Now, let's talk about the reality of TBI, to be injured. Let's give yes. our listeners an overview of the book and tell them okay. sort of the backstory about how this book came to be. Sure. Well, I started out uh, with an introduction, um, thanking people who I've who made my life possible, frankly, uh, after the injury. And I move into the research that we talked about, um, and that's quite extensive. And I want to just mention one particular. Um, there's a wonderful study called the NUN study, N-U-N. <laughs> and really what it's about is they noticed that people in their, who were nuns in this particular group didn't develop Alzheimer's or dementia nearly at such a greater percentage as the general population. And long story short, they narrowed, narrowed this down to a number of variables that contributed to these women living longer, healthier lives. One was socializing, which they frequently and constantly did with each other just to keep track of how they were doing in the real world. Second was, and most important of all, the physical activity. They were constantly cleaning, and they, in those days they were down on the floor um, with rags, doing some of the stone floors, etc. So that's the most important of all. There's a wonderful book called Spark about that. So that's the most important. Then socializing is also another variable, and I'm sure most of you know these. But socializing is also very important. And then, of course, keeping your mind active. I use Brain HQ, but other people use all sorts of different brain games, and they're all great. But keeping, keeping on top of it and doing them regularly is the key. So you're stimulating your mind. You're keeping your body in shape. You're eating healthily, of course, not smoking or drinking. And then just be active and social with other people. It's hard sometimes because it can be depressing, but only if you let people tell you what you should be like and not just figure it out yourself. Wonderful. 
So then I went on and wrote the actual story of what happened to me. Uh, with some examples along the way about what I experienced afterwards. And what I did gain back, anybody who's injured like this, anyone, can gain back some of what they've lost. We know that scientifically now with neurons and something called neuroplasticity. We can re-network those nerves or we can go ahead and have those neurons replenish themselves. They do regenerate. Now, I'm not saying that you'll get back everything you lost. I mean, that's clearly not going to happen. However, you can accommodate for the problems and then gain some back. So that's kind of what I wanted to get across to folks through this memoir. One of the things that I liked, I'm familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief, and I liked the fact that you gave those, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But then you said, if someone has suffered a brain injury, they're going to go through stages as well. But you suggested that a more accurate description for those stages would be confusion, denial, anger, fear, and this is my favorite part, concluding in either despair or hope. Is it really the choice of the patient which direction they go? Yes. Acceptance. Acceptance isn't part of it. I mean, acceptance, as Kubler-Ross describes with grieving. Yes. Okay. That's a different story. But acceptance means that you're going to just comply and become exactly what you were predicted to be medically because of distinctly the part of the brain that was injured. And let me tell you, that ain't the truth. I know that because I didn't meet the expectations. I went on to work for 10 years, the same job. I came out of the surgery and was in rehab and I took an IQ test my IQ was the same as before the surgery. The only difference was that my memory was not as good, and that's just a fact. But my intellectual functioning was the same. If I had gone with what I had been told, I would certainly, certainly not be here in the same brain that I am now. I recently also, literally last week, um, I had an MFPI. Uh, the reason I, excuse me, multiphasic, um, Minnesota multiphasic inventory. That's just a, something that tells everyone, okay, can this person function and are they decreasing in that ability? Um, I'm not. And it, it was just enough to cry over. My point is, I'm going on and on, forgive me, but my point is this. We aren't limited by anything but ourselves. And certainly we can be that way, but we don't have to be. And that's the, that's the key to my book is instilling that hope and then that motivation to try. And I give a lot of examples about things you can do. So that's what I meant to do with the book, and I hope it comes across. It does. You're not coming at this from a scientific, strictly research perspective. You're coming at this from a personal, I experienced this, I went through it perspective. And I think that changes everything because that gives the credibility of what you're talking about and the inspiration and the hope that you're giving to anyone who's had a brain injury. It makes it more valid because you've been there and you're not just talking about something that's theoretical. It's real. No. Right. Exactly. You have it exactly. And I think that's so important. I was surprised by the statistics. You know, the NFL, we hear stuff from the NFL about brain injury. 
We hear stuff from soccer about brain injury. We hear stuff. I mean, it's pro football, pro sports, high school sports, college sports. The statistics that you give in the book, I, high school sports-related injuries, 60% of them you said in the book are concussions. For the males, yeah. the leading cause of high school sports concussion is obvious. It's going to be football. And for women, for young women, for females, the leading cause of high school sports concussion is soccer, which surprised me. Oh. I I mean, I know they hit it with their head, but it just surprised me that that would be the leading cause of concussion. And I was surprised about baseball. I mean, there's just so much in this book that the research – reached out and just grabbed me by the throat and shook me around a little bit because the Mm -hmm. statistics are stunning. And I know that because of what you said and the way that you did the research, that this is valid. And I think it's really scary. Yeah, I think that, well, parents are certainly coming into this knowledge, and I'm not saying everybody should give up soccer. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, we could hit our head at any time. However, brain injuries cause more deaths than any other sports injury. And when you, when you put it all together, actually, it really, just look at the sports. Now, what would be the one that had the most brain injury? Of course, boxing. And if you look at those stats, it's just overwhelming, the number of people um, who box, having brain injury, having a dementia early, early onset. Same is true of kids who have been banged around the head, um, there are many countries in this world that don't have a child protective service. And these kids, certainly these children are going to have more trouble as they go on in life. So it's really, a lot of this is very um, depressing, but I think the more that we talk about these things, the better it will become in this country, at least to rearrange, to make um, accommodations better and make sure, for example, that, I mean, this is just one thing that's come up, in the past couple of decades, is children now have to, by law, wear their helmets. Now, when I hit, see a child not wearing their helmet in the park where I walk, it's, oh, it's all I can do not to run over screaming at the parents. Get something on that kid's head. So those kind of things, I think it's important to remember that it's not about panicking. It's really about being careful and trying to remember that none of us is, <laughs> none of us is a teenager and going to live forever, which all teenagers think. Right. You know, it's just understanding it. There's there's one particular, I've got to share this with you because I have so many friends who um, would have been affected. A traumatic brain injury causes 1.5 times more deaths than AIDS. So you can see it's huge. It's just huge. And yet we don't, we don't hear about it much, but there it is. When you wrote the book, did you have a target audience in mind? Oh, yeah. Yes. Anyone who's had any injury to the brain, now that could be a stroke, that could be any type of uh, traumatic brain injury, any imagery to the brain, yes, that would be first. The second would be for the caregiver. They're as devastated as anybody could be about what's happened to their loved one. And how do I act? What do I do? How can I encourage? What about the doctors? There's so many questions and nowhere to go. So I definitely feel this book offers some hope, first of all, to both, but also very real, very real things you can do in your daily life to behave better, to have a better life. 
So I think that's true on both ends because both are suffering. Is there a part of the book that you'd like to share with the listeners, Carol? Oh, yes. I was ready for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, The first part is, here it is. Yes. Yeah. I just wanted one little quote and then I'll just read a short part. Um, Try to remember that the answers, the memories, which they could be evading you now, but they still lie within you. They're still there. They're just waiting to be accessed again. You have to give yourself time and be easy on yourself. You can't deny what happened or its impact. If others demean you, be angry when reasonable, lest you become fearful and slip into despair. That is a dangerous place to be and not worthy of you. In other words, chin up. Stay with people who love you as much as you can. And when they aren't being loving, then you need to divorce them from your life. It's very important and you don't listen to someone else who's telling you how you should be. Now, this is one example, um, which I hope you'll find at least a little amusing, but it's true. It's a true story. After I was done, um, whoops, after I was through rehab and I came back to work, which is, by the way, three months, which is uh, amazing. This guy who did my surgery and God together are miracles. So anyway, um, what happened was I went in to see someone who was a specialist. Again, it was assumed that I would have a terrible time with writing and I would have a terrible time with certain parts of speech. So I thought, well, okay. I mean, I was a good girl, right? I was going to do what I was told, even though I couldn't see what in the world was going to have anything to do with me. So, so what he did the first time, I went to see this man and I went in and, and sat down. He was not at my particular health plan office. He was a contracted person. Okay. I'm just going to read you a short part of this. Eventually, the door to the inner office, sanctum, opened and a patient emerged. She looked dejected and forlorn. Shortly afterwards, the door opened again to reveal an enormous mahogany desk behind which sat an officious-looking man. He crooked his finger at me without rising. Good morning, my dear. Come right in and take a seat. As they approached, he waved his hands toward the chair in front of the desk and returned to charting his note on the previous patient. After a few minutes, he finally set the notes aside. Picking up a new sheaf of papers, he slapped them down onto the desk with some vigor. Well, honey, I guess you've been through some tough stuff. I've reviewed your case. I've begun to make some plans for you regarding your speech and speech therapy. I didn't respond, but what was there to say? He wasn't asking for me to input or comment, so I just sat and waited. Then, well, dear, before we begin, let's agree to a few things. His voice slowed to a drawl. It's likely that you will be confused about what we do here at first. Don't blame yourself, as this will work against you when we're trying to do something. If while I am explaining you are confused or need to ask a question, just raise your hand, and I will stop to give you time to collect your thoughts and express yourself as best you can. I was frustrated that he would speak to me in such a condescending fashion, Uh, but I agreed, and he began. The questions were very elementary, and I did my best not to smile. He leaned across the desk towards me as I sat in a chair, which was so small that he peered down on me from his lofty perch. After about an hour, he said, well, you seem to be out of time for today, so we'll schedule another appointment for you to come back. Don't you worry, dear. I will write down the date and time for you. You will forget it if I don't. By the end of my evaluation, I will have a plan made especially for you, and you'll feel better. This time I asked, what what exactly do you mean by plan? 
Oh, my dear, don't you worry about that. I have lots of experience with this type of injury you sustained. All you need to do is trust me, and we will. I mean, I promise you make progress. Since I know that even to survive a severe injury, never mind remain fully functional, was exceedingly rare, I felt even less inclined to return. As I hurried toward the door, anxious to leave, he said, Oh, oh, by the way, we will want to get some idea about how well you can do on your own. All I ask you to do, and I know it will be difficult, is to write down sentences on a paper and bring it back to me when you return. Try not to get too frustrated with yourself, as this will only make matters worse. Remember, you and I are going to work together, and I promise you we'll see some progress. I think I'll do a couple more paragraphs and then give you all a break. Needless to say, I was not impressed by the fact that he was going to make a plan without any feedback from me. I was feeling humiliated more than anything else, mixed with a good dose of anger at his assumptions. But I assumed he knew what he was doing, so I returned the following week. There was no one in the waiting room, and I was on time for the visit. Again, I had to settle in to wait. Opening the door, he crooked his finger at me. Come on, dear, you sit here. I, oh, I had dispensed with, <laughs> all, as though I wouldn't have forgot, would have forgotten where to sit. I was happy to be there, in fact. I had dispensed with writing the sentences, bringing instead a sample of the writing I had done since being injured, some of which were when I was in the hospital. I was sure that he would be impressed to see how successful I could be and how much beyond his expectations. Now, honey, did you remember to do the assignment I wrote down for you? Yes, I did, I said, handing him the sentences. Here's something I wrote after I was injured. I passed the papers to him. It was the story of what I remembered about the ride that day. He read the first few pages and scanned the rest. And when he'd finished, he laid the story on his desk, shook his head, and turned to me. Now, honey, you can tell me who really wrote this. I did, I responded, surprised by his assumption that I had not. Oh, sure you did, dear, as he reached across the desk and patted my hand. But really, dear. We're not going to make much progress if you're not honest with me. Oh, Carol. Oh, so I just my. wanted to share that. <laughs> All through. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Honey. Well, actually, Suzanne, anybody who's had a brain injury knows what I'm talking about. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty discouraging with him, actually. Not me. I am just stunned that anyone would be that condescending did he not know yeah I, I mean i don't know well you know suzanne I, I i don't think he really did i mean i have to give him that much because you know when i went out in the waiting room and there are all these people sitting you know the, the next time just sitting there just looking so depressed and he would have the same you know he would tell them what to do well in therapy you don't tell i don't care what kind of therapy you don't tell the person what to do you guide them to their own guide in other words, you can get them on the path, but you can't help them find their own guy because that's them. I guess what I'm saying is his biggest mistake was this. He had no respect and absolutely felt nothing could come from me as a patient. And as you were saying earlier about your particular job, what the heck is the interest if it's not about that person who's being, uh, in this case, harassed? Because he did not listen to... I mean, he didn't want no. you to talk. He didn't. He wouldn't exactly. have listened to anything that you said. I mean, that's astonishing. Thank you for sharing that part. It is because you said you thought it was funny. 
I mean, I'm just stunned and <laughs> mortified that a professional <laughs> would treat another professional like that. But I think that's a great example to use from the book because you and I both know that there is someone who is hearing our voices right now who's had that exact experience with a therapist who is supposedly trying to help them. So thank you for choosing that part to share. Now I know I know that our listeners are saying, where can I get this book? So let's tell them. First of all, Amazon. Amazon, it seems they have everything, but they have Carol's book. So (laughs) if you you don't know how to go to Amazon, there's a search feature at the top of your computer. You just type in www.amazon.com, click, and you'll be on that home page. The first time you go there, I know the first time I went there, I thought this is overwhelming because there's so much stuff. What you look for is the big blank space. There is a long search box. Here's what you type into that search box. T-B-I dash to be injured, colon, surviving and thriving after a brain injury by Carol, C-A-R-O-L, gig, G-I-E-G. Click and the book will come right up. Now, in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the words, look inside. If you'll just put your cursor on those two words and click on it, the book will electronically open, and there's a really wonderful excerpt from the book right there. Now, Carol, they can get it on Amazon. Some people prefer to get it other places. Is there something else that they could do to get a copy of the book? Yeah, and I just want to add one thing go. because it makes it much simpler. Please. Yeah, if you just go, you don't need to put www. If you just put Amazon or Amazon.com, and then up it will come. And I have a very strange last name. There's only one other person I know in this country, my father, who has the same. So if you do put in books, for example, and then put G-I-E-G, ta-da, uh, that's probably easy way. And, and uh, also, if you like, you can just go to your bookstore um, and say, you know, could you order this for me? I will tell you, I did not have any control over how much the book was going to cost. And I know that there are some people who don't have access uh, to be, or don't have enough money to afford $18 or whatever it is. <laughs> so what I did have control over was how much it would cost online. And it's 3 or $4 online. So anybody can get it if they want it for not, not a huge amount of money. That's not the purpose of the book. It's to reach as many people as I can with the message. The other thing, so that's just two of the things. The other thing that Amazon will do is that frequently they will have used books that are available. And so the, most of the time, sure. people can really get a reasonable price on a book. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad you did. Now, let's talk about social media and let's talk about your website. You've got a website that's a work in progress, but let's go ahead and give our listeners the address and let's tell them what they'll find there when they go. Okay. Oh, you want me to give it? Yes. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's actually the name of the book, only shortened. TBI, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury 
and com. So it's it's quite short. Um, and, and as you were saying, Suzanne, it's a work in progress. I've got 99% on the map. <laughs> yeah, so that would be uh, probably the best thing to do, I would think. Now, do you want to talk about your Facebook page? Oh, yes. Again, that is, uh, I do, it's very interesting. I do absolutely have the website. I did uh, go ahead and go on that one. <laughs> but yeah, the Facebook author page, I'm not sure about doing that. I'm still thinking on that. So we'll see. I'm not sure. I know that I have uh, arranged to advertise through all sorts of social media. So it will be available that way. But um, yeah, I'm going to hold off on that question for just a bit. Excellent. Now, I always like for the author to have the last word about their book because it's your work, and I always think it's so important for you to be able to have the last word for the listener. When our listeners become readers and they pick up a copy of TBI to be injured and they read through it, and the very last time they finish that last page and they either electronically close the book or they physically close the book. What is the really big takeaway that you want the reader to leave with, Carol? One one sentence. Don't believe what you hear, but instead believe in who you are. Don't let people tell you, medical people especially, that you are going to have this life and it's going to be exactly like it was predicted. If you believe that, you're going to be that. And that leads directly to depression, which is yet another thing that will weigh on your brain. So please, 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 don't give up hope. And if you don't have someone in your life who believes in you that way, that you have potential, then find somebody. It's really important. You can call the brain injury. You can get in touch with a number of different brain injury supports. Brain Injury Network is the first one that comes to mind. But certainly, um, I've listed these on my website, so they'll be soon available. Don't give up. That's what I'd like to tell you. I love that. And I, you have done such a masterful job with this book. You've presented the scientific side of it, but you've also presented that personal, inspirational, don't give up, don't let anybody tell you you can't believe in yourself side that I think is so important. And I hope that if there's someone listening to us that has had a brain injury, that your book gives them hope and that they listen to you because you are the inspiration. You're the person who's been through it. You're the person that hope made a difference for. So, Carol, thank you so much for being my guest today on Books on Air. Thank you for having me, Suzanne. It's been just wonderful. Now, remember, you can find TBI, To Be Injured, Surviving and Thriving After a Brain Injury by Carol Gig, G-I-E-G, on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, 
You never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.